0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 268. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Brett Roberts. Hey Brett, great to have you back on the show.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: It's always a pleasure, always great to have you around. You always have uh, lots of things, lots of good ideas to share. Uh, we have lots of good discussion, and some of it we capture on the podcast for uh, the rest of the country listening on.
1: I know, I know. All the good stuff. The Hopefully
0: cream. we've got the very best of the best. So uh, yeah, well, let's start. Maybe you can fill listeners in on where you fit into the, the technology community here in New Zealand.
1: Sure. So uh, I work for a company called Datacom. I'm based here in Auckland. I'm an associate director, and I'm responsible for... Um, several parts of the business, um, digital, mobile, CRM, uh, collaboration and Office 365. I've got a team of awesome people working for me. Uh, I've been with the company for just over five months. I'm having a ball. Interesting, interesting organisation, name brand company. Um, And I've been in the technology game for a long, long time since I started out as an avionics engineer with Air New Zealand back in the I don't know, early 1900s, it seems like. Well, I think it was a bit, <laughs> bit later than that. Yeah, must, jets, must have been. So that, must that was been. a good sign. Yeah. What about you? What do you do? Who the heck are you?
0: Uh, well, I, I run uh, this thing called Guerrilla Technology that, uh, that keeps me pretty busy. And uh, we look after technology-related matters for small to medium businesses uh, here, primarily around uh, Auckland and the, the region. And that has, has me always looking at what new technologies are coming through, how they might be useful to business and uh, hence the sort of tie-in to doing, uh, to doing the New Zealand Tech Podcast, uh, because we we're always looking at technology and how it can help. It uh, makes it pretty easy to uh, sit down and have these chats. In fact, it's uh, it's always a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Excellent.
0: Cool. All right, well... Let's, um, let's get going. First up, wanted to... Uh, this was one that, that I came across actually on uh, Geekzone, which is a local tech community online here in New Zealand, um, was somebody highlighting that... Um, Harvey Norman have been honoring uh, Dick Smith orders for uh, Fitbit uh, fitness trackers. So with Dick Smith having got, gone into uh, receivership, uh, basically things like um, vouchers that people had pre-purchased and maybe deposits on, uh, on products, all of that stuff got wiped out. Uh, so in this case, the uh, the person got in touch with Fitbit and just said, oh, I'm in this position, I've laid down some money, but it doesn't look as though I'm going to get my Fitbit. Have you got any ideas? And um, Fitbit and Harvey Norman together came to the party and um, were able to uh, to help this person out. So um, I thought that was uh, very cool and worth uh, worth mentioning when That's, good stuff happens.
1: That is pretty cool. That whole Dick Smith thing was terrible, wasn't it, just before Christmas, though? I don't know, there's a lot of people, I think, got burned there. It was a real real shame. Um, th- this is great. I mean, you know, so often these things just form into a black hole and it's too bad to the poor consumer. Um, have you got a Fitbit?
0: Uh, yeah, I use Fitbit from time to I mean, I'm always juggling and trying out different gadgets, but, uh, you know, I think Fitbit sort of rightfully deserve that position they have at the moment as, uh, you know, the most popular of uh, sort of fitness wearables.
1: Yeah, they've done a pretty good job. You know, the branding, the, the functionality... Um, I know friends and family have had a bunch of problems with them um, failing, battery life and things like that. But to their credit, the replacement policy just seems to be one of... Just keep sending devices until one works properly, and then okay, all good. so yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So they're good at good at looking after the customers, yeah. and their
1: apps great. I have to say, I think they've done a really good job of that. That seems to get better with every every release.
0: Yep. Well, I'm um, I'm pushing them at the moment for their new uh, new de- newest devices that they've announced that aren't aren't too far off. So um, hopefully we'll have a hands on on those in the ne- in the next few weeks to have a little bit of a oh, play cool. with. So I'll pop back in. Yeah, should do it um, now. Also, well, not not quite in the same same area, but uh, I guess there's a bit of a crossover here. Actually, with uh, with wearables, it is news that um, the UK's uh, National Health Service or NHS, as it's usually called there, um, is moving forward in terms of how they're going to embrace technology, and uh, they're going to go from having sort of been very anti things like uh, mobile signals and. Uh, Internet access around patients to uh, uh, embracing it and providing free Wi-Fi to uh, to patients in hospitals. This sounded pretty cool to me, actually. Um, and there was a, yeah, there was the highlight, even uh, even going as far as being able to link people's sort of wearables into their uh, their database of health information. So, you yeah, maybe using a wearable and it's tracking some information that's quite important to your health, uh, real time that can sort of feedback and you know ultimately get to uh, uh, get to the uh, specialists that that need act, access to that information, but uh, you know, ultimately wrapped up and and, and secured.
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting for a couple of reasons. The first one was um, the NHS getting very um, citizen centric, and you know, you hear a lot of governments talking about that these days. How you put the citizen, you know, the customer, I guess, their customer at the centre, and that, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, but yeah, that the wearables and and the connection and interface to the public health system is. Fascinating when you think about it for a whole bunch of reasons. The vast amounts of data that all of those wearables will produce um, is fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons just by itself. And I think that's where Fitbit, just going back to what we're talking about, that's where they're going to make their money eventually, right? They'll sit on top of terabytes, petabytes of public health information and be able to provide all sorts of interesting insight to governments and insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and things like that. Um, but you think about interfacing that into the public health system and you know monitoring people and heart rates and exercise and all sorts of stuff like that, I think it's interesting from the point of view of the um, capability of technology to, to make the world a better place, um, deliver better health co- outcomes and things like that. Uh, but also, there's a, you know, as always with these technology things, there's that flip side of the coin, which is privacy concerns potentially or what happens when your insurance company won't cover you because your Fitbit says you're not exercising at the amount that you said you were exercising, and so there's all sorts of other implications in there as well. You know, it'll be interesting to watch this one play out.
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful that there might be some rub off on uh, on other governments and health services around the world.
1: Yeah, one can only hope. Yeah.
0: Look, look, looking, looking <laughs> a bit uh, closer to home there, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, but uh, it is, it is good, and yeah, often these things will will inspire some uh, some good movement in other parts of the world. So we'll we'll just see how 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 sharp things are here. Uh, in In New Zealand, I guess ours isn 't probably as um, well simple might not be the right word, but uh, you know in terms of the way that uh, health is sort of done done nationally here and locally i, d- I don 't know how uh, how an initiative like this would would go down in new zealand there
1: 's a lot of stuff happening in the space. I know um, when I was at Kellyn innovation a while back um, there 's several startup up companies out there working on remote medicine um, technologies, everything from uh, jump online, start a video session with a GP there and then uh, kind of thing through to how do you get um, Fitbit data or um, more complex um, you know, recording devices heart rate monitors and all those other bits and pieces get that data back to somebody that can analyse it uh, and do something with it in much closer to real time than, than happens today, there's a lot of really good stuff going on in that space
0: and I guess the sensors are being continually developed because, you know, some of the, the first iterations of the technology aren't always that, uh, that perfect, but yeah. it gets better and better pretty quickly in this world, particularly where there are consumer products in the space and there are you know, there's so much benefit from, uh, uh, you know, refreshing and improving these things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a volume game, right? You know, mm. and, you know, you look at the, I've got a Fitbit that um, monitors heart rate and... I'm sure it's not as accurate as a um, as a something in a hospital, but it's it's better than me sticking my thumb on my wrist and trying to, you know, count and do several things at once, which is one of my strong points.
0: Well, and 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 a just because it it does it when you probably wouldn't get round yeah, to it. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: And if nothing, you know, even though it might not be 100 percent accurate, at least it's probably pretty close to 100 percent consistent. And you can mm-hmm. it's not the number at a given moment; it's the change and all the other things like that. You know, and that. Democratizing that that technology and just getting it out on the wrists of a zillion people um, is pretty amazing, you know. And I think the potential for that is incredible. I don't think we've figured out all the things can be used for yet.
0: Oh, I agree, it's huge. Uh, now, Apple's era fifty three. <laughs> <laughs> What have what have you what have you heard about this? Maybe you can explain it to uh, to listeners that aren't, aren't across it. Although it's, it's had a fair bit of uh, media coverage uh, in the mainstream media, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it has. And the interesting thing about this, um, my uh, nephew Paul, who might be listening to this, flagged this with me like a year or eighteen months ago. This he called it out, and it basically if the on the Apple devices that have the thumbprint or the fingerprint scanner, um, if those are played with. Or, or replaced or whatever, and, and not in a you know authorized manner, um, you can partic- potentially brick the machine or stop. You know, worst case, or you know, potentially best case scenario, using that device to access the the machine, uh, the device. And um, apparently, what's happened is that in the latest um, update to iOS, I think iOS nine point something or other, um, Apple are actually intentionally bricking machines, devices that have had. Um, have been repaired by non-authorised repairers, uh, and people wind up with uh, these, you know, paperweights that cost them many hundreds of dollars that are supposedly not repairable. And shock horror, a law firm in the United States is interested in pursuing a class action suit against Apple as a direct result.
0: And uh, that's to be very much expected. But it, I mean, it is it is curious, um, but I can see how. Important it, it is that if you're putting your you know your finger on a fingerprint reader, that you should be able to feel reasonably uh, reasonably safe that nothing too dodgy is going on. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know when you when you look at the you know the the button on the iPhone or uh, you know varying other devices. There's nothing really obvious that that's a fingerprint reader, so, I mean, fingerprint readers could kind of be anywhere sort of scanning your fingerprint couldn't they, in terms of yeah. things, the things that you touch. I
1: hadn't thought about it that way, but it's, um, I do find it mildly ironic that Apple might be citing security as a reason for doing what they're doing. You know, My take on Apple is that security's never been, you know, it's the letter S. It's a long way down the alphabet. It's never been, they focus on A for Apple a lot, but not S for security very much. <laughs> um, so it's kind of ironic in a way that they're... Um, Pouting security has been the reason behind it, but but you're right, you know, absolutely. There's probably good reason to do what they're doing. Um, well, maybe a appear...
0: variation on it. I mean, to yeah. completely turn your your phone into uh, something that's you know completely useless, bricking it as we like yeah. to call it, as the technical term. Yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, that's fairly extreme. Yeah, it, it and especially you it... take it into Apple, and they say no, there's nothing we can do about
1: yeah. it. Uh, like I said, I'm sure there's a bunch of lawyers just you know rubbing yeah. their hands in glee. <laughs>
0: Money to be made um, <laughs> talking of money to be made um, there's been been a, a, a patent lawsuit against Apple uh, and at this stage the ruling is uh, that Apple are owing uh, what is it six hundred and twenty five million US dollars so if we convert that back to uh, local currency it's it's not too far off the billion dollar mark um, what are you <laughs> What's your what's your take on this? Because well, uh, you know we've seen these patent uh, you know lawsuits in the past, but this one is um, hmm. They're not. There's not a whole lot of of bigger uh, patent uh, infringement situations that we've come across, are there?
1: No, that's a decent chunk of dollars, isn't it? And um, I, I don't know the the patent thing's quite fascinating. I think um, having spent a few years at Microsoft. Um, And seeing kind of what happens with patents behind the scenes or how some of that stuff works. I think uh, a lot of people out there point at things like this and go, oh, there you go, the whole patent system's broken and it doesn't work. You know, for every, it's probably important to remember for every one of these things that blows up into a spectacular court case, there's probably 10,000 examples where patent licenses happen transactionally and no one bats an eyelid. You know, it's um, the patent system is broken without a doubt. Even Bill Gates will tell you that. but yeah, every once in a while, one of these things will come along, and they tend to be doozies. If the you know if Google are in there, Microsoft are in there, Apple are in there, there's four or five names. If they're associated, they're normal, normally, normally triple-digit, million-dollar things. Um, I did a calculation for just to give you an idea of what this would, how this would impact Apple from the point of view of if one day they do have to write a check for six hundred and twenty-five million US dollars. Uh, what based on their profit last financial year, not the current financial year where they're doing incredibly well. Uh, but the previous one, um, assuming that the financial year started on the 1st of January, which isn't entirely correct, but anyway, bear with me here, uh, they'd have to bank all of their profit uh, until 7am on the 4th of January to pay that. (laughs) So there's probably a little tin box. Pretty small
0: percentage, eh?
1: Yeah, there's probably a little tin box at reception in the main building in Cupertino with that amount in petty cash just sitting in it, and they'd just probably just take it out of that, I would guess. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the, these uh, these lawsuits are um yeah, they I guess they they vary in terms of how silly they are and how big they are. Um, this one r- relates to uh to technology used in uh, in FaceTime. Um, yeah, I I'm really curious how they calculate this sort of figure because you would think it would it's way out of uh, you know, whack for one uh, one small element that makes a feature like that uh, Possible, but um, it's it, that—that's the U.S. legal system, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I guess so. But I—I bet you a cold beer that it just gets settled, and there'll be some sort of licensing transaction gets done, and they'll pay some, you know, retrospective license fees, and everyone will be happy.
0: Well, it's the lawyers that tend to win, isn't it? There's uh, there's some <laughs> they there's win. some huge uh, you know re- returns that they make out of these uh, these situations. There was. Um, There was a a lawsuit I came across, uh, another sort of patent-related one uh, between um, two networking firms um, in in Silicon Valley, uh, Riverbed and Silver Peak. Now, I was curious about this because um, uh, the CEO of Silver Peak is is an Aucklander um, who's who's been based in the the valley for, for a very long time. And uh, you know he founded the company, so I'm always sort of watching to to see what they're uh, what they're up to. And um, uh, Riverbed is sort of the big big player in uh, in this particular um, uh, space. And so Riverbed went after uh, after Silver Peak, and uh, you know claiming that they'd um, you know infringed on their patents. So they're basically trying to beat up their their smaller rival. Yep. Now I don't know how much smaller they are, whether they're a tenth or twentieth of the size. Um, but you know, the smaller rival, uh, um, I think Riverbed, a sort of a billion dollar plus, plus company. So, you know, still a a reasonable fight, but I guess they could afford a lot bigger lawyers. So I was kind of curious to see what would, what would happen. And, uh, yeah, in the process, the whole thing got turned around and then uh, you had the little company that was basically, uh, going after the big one. So the big one was maybe trying to suck the smaller company, uh, dry and, uh, in the end, all all bets were off, and uh, yeah, they they settled, and uh, I think the story was that that no money ch- sort of changed hands, and you know they agreed to a nice uh, you know a nice friendly agreement. Yeah. Um, but it, you know it was kind of amusing when it started the other way with the big player thinking they were going to take out this that... this little company, and uh, yeah, it turned around, and yeah, basically both of them were, I guess were out of out of the pocket for whatever went in the in the hands of the lawyers.
1: Yeah, I mean that's definitely happened before. There's precedence around that where. The tables get turned, and it's just—it's a good pointer to the fact that um, the the patent system itself is, you know, over 100 years old, um, broken in so many ways. Particularly when it comes to the technology realm, that you know the the rate of things getting patented and whether those things are actually justifiably patentable, are, um, sometimes in question. There's been some incredibly stupid things that have been um, attempted to be patented and have been patented um, in the past. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think you're always going to have that. It, it, unfortunately, um, using patents as a weapon like that is not unheard of. There's more than one or two technology companies out there that have made a very healthy living out of knocking on the door of you know young companies and basically saying to them, look, here's a whole lot of our patents you might be interested in that you seem to be reading against. Um, we could see you in court, or we could organise some sort of licensing arrangement. And um, yeah, that probably won't change until they change the system, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yes um and there, there was one to do
0: with podcasts actually that was they were going after uh, popular podcasters there for a while so um, you know we might have <laughs> to stay uh, stay out. under the radar <laughs> with this one Brett. um now delorean the uh the old uh, delorean made made famous by uh, what a um um
1: a crazy professor okay. and a... Yeah, a yeah. fascinating
0: founder, right? And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. I think about well, the movie. Oh, yeah, the, the, uh, and, and, um, and, and Back to the
1: Future. Wasn't he a Coke deal? I think he got done for Coke importation at some stage. Yeah, I think that's I DeLorean, think was a, not, yeah. yeah, not Doc Brown. <laughs>
0: not Doc Brown and Back to the Future. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but uh, there, there's a company that's been selling DeLoreans and uh, parts and repairs and bits and pieces like that in the US for you know probably since uh, you know DeLorean originally went uh, went bust, and uh, then it, it's, it's just hit uh, online in the last few days that they want to actually start manufacturing uh, DeLoreans again. There seems to be a bit of a demand for them. I mean they're not a they're not a, a low cost. Uh, uh, you know, vehicle because the, I guess Back to the Future is, has made them uh, a kind of a, a very um, a, a cool thing to have for so many of the fans out there. It's a bit of, got a bit of a cult status, hasn't
1: it? Yeah, okay. the United States is fascinating, isn't it? There's enough people that live there that there's a market for absolutely everything. You know, so I'm sure they'll sell ten a year, or twenty a year, or fifty a year. You know, you could make anything and and sell that many of them over there. But um, there's yeah, there's a market for everything, man. It's one of the things that's always fascinated me about the US. So I'm not, I'm I'm surprised. I thought they'd kind of died and gone to car heaven. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not surprised at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, I mean, they're talking about reusing, you know, a stock of old parts they had kicking around and so on, and they're, and they're looking for some legislation to to come in that will. Um, uh, you know, soften up some of the newer security, or not security, safety, safety, safety yeah. uh, standards that have come in in, in recent years uh, to to line up with the, the rules that I think exist in the US now for people making their own kit set cars, uh, which, which you know allows you to make replicas and so on without having to tick all of those safety boxes. I wonder if they've still got
1: flux capacitors.
0: There could be some new ones. <laughs> they could. They could. They may have invented their own. Um, I mean, you, you certainly see the, uh, um, you know, the, the replica back to the future yeah. cars, and they've got all that sort of, uh, uh, you know, wired up from a, um, That's a visual That's what these will be useful. You know so, that, like, don't you? Yeah, yeah. They'll all be yeah. used for replicas. Yeah. Um, so it's all good, fun stuff. Now... Um, what have we got happening in the um the virtual reality space i, I saw something that um google are expected to launch um a competitor to samsung's gear vr and of course when when i read that i thought well haven't they already done that with the google cardboard um but word is that um the google cardboard of course was just a um a cardboard accessory that you could uh, slot your uh, your android phone into and uh and create a virtual reality headset of of sorts for, uh, for next nothing. And, of course, we ended up with those being made available in, um, uh, what's it, uh, NutriGrain grain boxes here in, yeah, in New Zealand, right. a variation on yeah. that. I think we've got one sitting on the shelf somewhere in here. Um, and, 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 a, and a few, uh, and you know, so there's been a few variations on that, but it sounds like uh, they're, they're making some moves in In that direction, uh, maybe under the Nexus brand that they've launched smartphones under. And the other uh, rumor we're hearing sort of side by side with that is that maybe uh, going forward, those future Nexus phones, which I've usually done in partnership with the likes of LG and Huawei and so on, uh, that they won't do those in partnership anymore, that they'll make their own, uh, the Nexus phones themselves. So there's some interesting stuff going on there. at Google. some some change afoot by the sounds of it.
1: My my prediction, and I'm really bad at this, so you should pay no attention at all, is that VR slash AR, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, is going to be the big technology thing for the next two or three years. I mean, obviously, and into the future, but I think we're at the Model T Ford stage of, of that stuff, and I think we're about to enter into an entirely different era very, very quickly, bearing in mind that, you know, technology improves... Functionality wise, exponentially, and kind of improves cost wise, exponentially as well. I think we'll be blown away with what's in market in a year or two, you know, um, compared to what's around today, slotting smartphones into cardboard goggles and things like that. And all of those companies are throwing billions of dollars at that, right? Google, Apple, Microsoft, and, and a bunch of, you know, startups as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen a taste and we've seen a few videos and bits and pieces of what's possible. Uh, I was listening to a security podcast I came across uh, recently, a little bit of research. And uh, for anyone that's interested, the Take One Security podcast, um, which episode was it? I think it was the... Uh, episode twenty six has quite. A, if you're interested in this sort of future thing and and uh, and how the likes of these sort of augmented reality glasses will um, might might operate in the future, along with uh, um, where personal assistants like Siri and Cortana will will lead us uh, and drones, there's uh, there's quite an interesting little sort of short story. Uh, on that podcast and on the on the episode, so uh, if you if you like to live in the future, uh, then, then that one gives you a little bit of a, a taste on uh, you know one one person's view of it. And I thought I thought it was uh, it was quite uh, uh, quite engaging. It was it was a good little listen.
1: I'll have a listen actually. And the, I, the other thing I would recommend people go and hunt out is the some of the Microsoft Hololens demos that are up on YouTube, um, particularly the stuff where they start mapping virtual things into the real world you know put a a game on a table and if you move the table the game moves with it you know really where we're headed to I can see is and and you know I'm talking one or two or three years down the track not ten where you know we'll all laugh at us buying 70 inch big screen TVs and sticking them on the wall because we'll just be wearing some sort of simple you know glass goggle apparatus that enables us to throw up our own TV screens onto on the wall all over the place and um so i think we really are um entering a an era where this is going to be this quantum leap around um what we can see how things are represented visually how they you know um the technology to map uh, virtual things onto the real world etc um which reminds me should we talk about meta isn't it now yeah the, yeah so i st- stumbled across this the other day. I follow a guy um, uh, He's a tech journo blogger kind of guy, Robert Scoble. He's been around for a long time, um, and a quite he's a real world kind of guy, and he's a, um, a relatively BS-free um, person as well. He gets enthused about technology. I like people that get enthused, and he thinks about it, what the implications are, not just you know the fact that it's a new gadget, but what are the implications of this. And he uh, went to a company called Meta, which is one of these top secret startups in Silicon Valley, uh, and they're working this whole AR augmented reality space. And I read his stuff all the time And he's always waxing lyrical about this or that And and this um, post from him really caught my eye Because some of the language in it was quite um, Kind of out there And I'll, I'll read a bit of it I'll just kind of um, summarise some of it So he called that what Meta are about to release at Apparently at TED in about 10 days' time He called um, They demoed it to him And what he said was He believes it's the biggest thing in technology since the Apple II. Now, he's used that quote before a couple of times with other things, but when he calls something like that that big, it's probably pretty big, right? Uh, What was interesting, though, is um, his colleague and co-author on on one or two books, Shell Israel, saw the same demo, and I actually quote what he said because it blew my socks off. Quote, they showed us the most jaw-dropping, mind-boggling, world-changing technology I have ever seen. All I can say is that it is an AR and a magic leap, who I've not seen yet, and who will trail meta to the market by perhaps two years is better than this, then the world as we know it, work as we know it, entertainment, education, communications as we know it, will be profoundly and remarkably changed. Now that's unquote. That's a pretty amazing synopsis of some some technology. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing in a couple of weeks what this looks like. I have no clue. Uh, story of my life Um, but I'm really looking forward to this when you get a couple of guys that have been in this industry for a long time have seen everything wax lyrical about something like that it's going to be something special I hope so that's pretty cool
0: yeah and the nice thing about this is there's already a number of companies competing right because uh, you know we've got uh, Google uh, in in the space uh, Microsoft with with HoloLens Microsoft um, yeah, because Magic Leap, that's part of Google now. Have I got uh, that no, bit no, right? Mad- so have Magic, I
1: got- Magic Google have invested in Magic Leap. Ah, yes. Um, and I think there's been like a billion dollars or billion and a half dollars put into um, Magic Leap, and they haven't uh, demoed anything uh, broadly yet. There are a f- couple of videos out there showing what they've done. I think there's a smoke and mirrors video that they did with um, Weta, um, and I've heard all sorts of stories about you know what their technology might uh, involve uh, To the point of some people even saying That it could uh, be technology That directs images directly to the retina There's no glasses required or anything like that Which could be interesting um, I'd hate to be a beta tester um, But yeah, so so this space is Absolutely going to explode really quickly Like, you know, probably I suspect Starting in 10 days um, But, you know, it's going to be The big thing I think for the next few years As people get their head around it uh, People find, as they always do with new technologies Interesting new applications that no one ever dreamed up when they were first coming up with the ideas. So um, I love it when this stuff happens—is you know something new happening that we can kind of wrap our head around. Pretty yeah,
0: cool. oh, well, it's um, yeah. I'm sort of a, a little bit lost for words in terms of being able to <laughs> analyse it because we just don't have enough information, right? Uh, but we, we can speculate. That's what we're good at. We'll we, speculate. We'll we, make it up. We've got a bit of a wait ahead, and and my pick is that we'll have a little bit of a wait. One, you know, once this gets. Uh, yeah the details get released yeah. uh, at, at, at the um, TED event uh, that we won't be able to get our hands on these things in you know 5 minutes later but you can um, order them
1: so they've got um pre you know dev units available or about yep. to ship or something yeah
0: yep. um so uh yeah it'll be it'll be curious just to see how long it takes to sort of get to that point where they're broadly accessible and you know some of the challenges that we've that we've you know seen around battery life and yeah. weight and and whatnot are uh, addressed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, yeah, you want these things to be uh, have a positive rather than negative effect. That's right. It? Yeah, yeah. Um, but all very exciting. Uh, now we've also got we've we got uh, Twitter maybe cha- uh, making some changes. Although uh, now Twitter are saying no, we're not. So uh, it's been raised basically that um, maybe Twitter would be moving along. Uh, to an algorithm that would decide the order of what you see on your um, on your Twitter stream rather than the real time twitter feed um, or Twitter stream that we see today uh, but um, they 've Twitter have quickly sort of come back and said no no we 're not we 're not messing with that, and uh, what they have been testing in the background uh, if they do go ahead with that it 'll be sort of on an optional type basis to uh, to have Twitter maybe tell you about things you've missed while you've been away from Twitter and so on.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a couple of interesting things at Twitter. So the first thing was, was it last week, a whole bunch of their senior execs left, right? Boom, gone. So I'm sure there's a story behind that story. And then this all happens, and maybe those two things are related or not. Um, when I first saw they were going to play around with the real-time feed, or potentially going to, I, I thought, oh, I'm not, not so keen. Thinking about it now, though, um, providing it as an option, I mean, it can't be that hard, really, if you're in Twitter to have another tab that says here's real time and here's some sort of algorithmic view of things or even help let me filter it I actually think that's a good idea I I love Twitter um, use it a lot, abuse it even more um, you know the real time feed thing is beautiful but there's also that whole sometimes I probably miss really good stuff
0: I agree yeah. There's, yeah. there's things I miss as well I mean for me the real time nature of Twitter is just a key part of it's sort of DNA yeah. what, what Twitter is and you know, I can see from Twitter's perspective. I mean, the the valuation just keeps dropping. I think they're down to about ten billion, which you know is not an amount to sort of sniff at. But uh, you know, when when uh, I guess it's compared with uh, with Facebook, yeah, uh, you know, Uber. you're uh, you know, it's, it's now <laughs> tiny, whereas it was sort of considered uh, to have a very very big future. So, uh, and and certainly, you know, I'm seeing it's you know particularly. Maybe it's particularly just uh, certain areas in the US where people are are just using uh, Twitter from what I would say as a sort of an abuse perspective in terms of, that, you know, they're just using it to spam people. Yeah. Um, I think that's a bit of a pity, and, uh, you know, if they they don't work out how to address that, that uh, will keep having a negative negative impact. Yeah, I
1: think they've been pretty slow with some of that stuff. I think, you know, um, shutting down, you know, spammy accounts, um, I see, was it last week or earlier this week, they... Said they would shut down one hundred and twenty-five thousand um, terrorism promoting accounts. So you know they, I think they're probably getting better at some of that stuff. But they have been pretty lax in the past of fixing some of the you know obvious and major issues. Um, I guess they've got some very good feedback now though about what people think about algorithmic um, feeds. So that you know, yeah, basically the,
0: the Twitter is dead thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, That's,
1: yeah. So so it's good you know use PR to determine what the next version of your product looks like. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I guess they can just follow the Twitter stream to see how uh, how people like it, which is kind of kind of what happened
1: there, isn't it? That's very meta.
0: Um, now, what else have we got coming up? This week, uh, we have the Asia-Pacific Podcast Conference. That's happening uh, here in Auckland on Friday. Um, I hear it's going to be very good. Well, I'm hoping so. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we've ended up um, – so this this is something that uh, myself and uh, my team have put, put together – uh, just you know, noting what's been going on with with podcasts, and really, it's become a really uh, a really growing medium. And we just thought, well, now's the time to uh, to really get behind uh, people within New Zealand and and on a broader uh, basis within the the region uh, to uh, you know help them understand the potential of uh, of podcasts. And to upskill them, so uh, we've brought over uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, who's considered sort of the top podcast coach in the world, coming down from uh, from the US. We've got uh, Caitlin Sorey from uh, ABC in, in Sydney, and uh, she's been behind some of the ABC's uh, most popular podcasts, including uh, Science Versus, which um, I'm very keen to hear the story behind that actually, because this was a podcast that blew up uh, so big internationally. Uh, that it was actually poached off ABC and has uh, ended up with a US uh, company that's doing podcasts, wow. and I, I don't know all the ins and outs of uh, how how that happened. I did um, I did ask the host of the podcast who was on her way to New York, uh, you know, for a few details about what might have happened, but uh, but her so- lawyers said sounds like the. Um, yeah, there, maybe there was some um yeah, I'm very curious about that anyway. So I'm I'm going I'm going to be asking a few questions. Uh we've got uh, Megan Whelan from uh Radio New Zealand or RNZ as they're uh, uh now known. Um and we've got Michelle Dickinson that a lot of listeners will will know. Um to- talking about her world and work in the in the media and how she's sort of gone from uh being not particularly well known to uh World famous, so uh, world famous. Very, very quickly through um, through the, the the use of all sorts of media channels, including podcasts. Um, I think I'm in the lineup there as well. We've got, it's uh, <laughs> um, a shock. We've got a, f- a, f- a f- yeah, a few others. Uh, John o. Hutchison from uh, from Media um, and um, we've got some yeah other panelists from uh, from the likes of BFM and so on. So there's quite a good mix from that sort of broadcast side of the world to uh, um, to people that have that have moved into broadcasting through through podcasts from you know all sorts of other other perspectives to uh, to to run run businesses and uh, just to build their profiles and uh, you know, share what it is they like to share about uh, you know bloggers and and so on. So. Yeah, for anyone that's in that media world or if you know anybody who should be involved in this, uh, you know, whether they're a blogger or whether they're a sort of uh, marketing and communications person, and that they haven't really got their head around podcasts yet, then uh, you know this was probably your this is your last chance to let them know because it's happening uh, this week. We'll be doing uh, an in-person event that runs Friday Saturday, uh, but also a digital ticket for those who uh, maybe want to catch some of the content but actually can't make it there in person. So we'll have streaming videos available after the event.
1: You just touched on something there that I think, worth um, reiterating too, is um, it's it's not necessarily just about. Podcasting slash broadcasting—the whole idea. The thing that intrigues me is the PR and communications aspect of it. There's a lot of companies out there that are trying to figure out how they communicate with their customers, how they communicate with their staff. You know, if it's anything to do with audio and people, this is probably worth attending.
0: Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, even look at Zero for instance. You know, they're now using yeah. podcasts as a good example as a way to serve. Um, you know, not just their customers, but just to serve the. The, the the market and uh, you know of course have their association with, uh, with with their podcast um, you know is only good for their brand and you know it's it's like a lot of uh, companies have moved into blogging and they're giving away really useful information and and, and tips and so on for free and uh, and then. Of course, some of that sort of comes back to them in one way or another, even if it 's just the the mention that they get by being associated with uh, with giving out good information so yeah we 're certainly seeing quite a quite a growing interest there we 've got um, uh, some interesting discussions that have that have been going on with with organizations uh, locally uh, some of of you know of reasonable scale that are that are very interested in how they can uh, you know put podcasting together with uh, with the expertise they have in house to uh to start you know building relationships that uh, maybe are a bit different from from the things that they've done uh, done today to engage um, people so. yeah
1: it's a powerful channel and i mm. think a lot of people wouldn't have a clue where to start and how to do it you know so they should go. They should.
0: They Absolutely. should. And uh, we're hoping out of that will come some new uh, podcasts on our uh, Podcast New Zealand uh, platform. So uh, st- stay tuned for that. And, of course, we've got, uh, we've got Will Fleming, who's our uh, most famous new podcaster, who just launched in the last few months with My Kiwi Life, uh, which has done incredibly well in the iTunes charts here uh, in New Zealand. So he'll be sharing a little bit about his uh, uh, his story of, um, of podcasting. He did about a year's worth of podcasting before... Uh, uh, coming on board and uh, yeah since um, since we 've been working with him uh, he has uh, has had incredible success, so that will all be part of it uh, so if you 're after details asia pacific podcast conference dot com um, now that just about uh, just about wraps us up for this week i think uh, brett now there, oh, actually there was one article that I want to call out uh, this was something that uh, Bill Bennett put online over the weekend. Um, And he titled his article, New Zealand takes global silver for LTE uh, speed. I thought this was curious because, uh, you know, we've been hearing in recent months that New Zealand had the fastest uh, mobile internet speeds in the world, uh, but apparently we've now been pipped um, by uh, Singapore. So apparently our LTE speeds, according to... um, According to this uh, monitoring uh, app and company called Open Signal, uh, New Zealand's LTE average LTE speeds are 29 megabits uh, compared to Singapore, who are up at uh, 37 megabits per second.
1: Well, it's interesting, I've just done my own incredibly scientific bit of research here on speed test and got uh, 25.73 megabits per second download and 20.1 up, which I think is pretty damn good, really. I don't know how all those ones and zeros make it across the air, but they do, and they do it really quickly. Oh, that's, so there you go.
0: That, that's not too bad. Well, I'm going to do a test to see if I can uh, I can beat beat your one, um, <laughs> and I'm going to give give you the result and in, um, in, in just a moment. Um, there there is a um, I'm on Vodafone by the way. Just as an aside. Yeah. Okay. So, hmm, I'm not getting a very good Wi-Fi speed here, actually. So um, it's not as fast as what I thought. I was gonna I was gonna cheat because uh, my one was on uh, Wi-Fi, uh, but actually, I'm uh, I'm averaging just under uh, forty me- forty megabits down and. Uh, about the same as my upload speed.
1: Oh, that's right. I've just done it again. I've got thirty-eight point six three. So this is what happens. You see, the Vodafone people are listening. They heard me talk about it, and they turned a knob somewhere and sped up my in you know, my connection, which I think is just fantastic. Thank you, Vodafone.
0: Uh, well, my cheating didn't work. You, you bet me there. So uh, never, never mind. Right. My my four Gs
1: faster than your Wi Fi, <laughs> um, which,
0: which is odd because I know when I do a uh, do a do a test on the. Um, one of the other devices here I can get much faster than that, but uh, there we go. Uh, I'm suitably em- embarrassed at being beaten. Um, <laughs> there might well um, that's about us oh there was there was one, um, one thing you were talking about earlier, Brett, that I thought uh, listeners might be interested in um, if you can oh yes. you're, you're sort of a, a pick of a, a new uh, app or uh, a startup that you think people might be interested in.
1: I stumbled across this thing the other day called many thing um M-A-N-Y-T-H-I-N-G. Uh, It's an app I've got on my smartphone here. I have My iPhone haven't actually started playing around with it, but actually the piece of text on the bottom of the opening screen explains it perfectly. It says, turn your iPhone, iPod, and iPad into a smart home Wi-Fi camera in seconds, and that's exactly what it does, and it's actually quite a neat concept. So if you've got an iPhone sitting in a drawer, and a few of us have, you know, something's been superseded, uh, you can install this app on it um, and run it and use it as a Wi-Fi-enabled camera, um, even to the point... When I was looking through the demo video, where you can mark out areas of the screen, where if there's movement in that area, it'll send you an email or a text alert or something like that. Uh, and I think you get a month for free, and after that, you pay two or three dollars a month or five dollars a month or something. And they um, for the service and they store the video for a certain period of time as well. So quite, I don't know, just a, a neat concept. It's one of those things I love it when you stumble across the technology and you think, geez, that's smart. Just just a really cool idea. You know, great original idea implemented well. You know, so and I understand they're going to have an Android version. I have one in beta now. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. had to
0: be supported on a few Android phones and uh, yeah, iPods and all sorts of things. So it's uh, it's a, yeah, good good concept.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you could be too stealth with an you know iPad mounted on your ceiling. It's not like you know people are <laughs> going to miss that. But yeah, the concept's brilliant. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, very cool. Oh, maybe you can you hide it behind some artwork or something instead <laughs> sort of you know peeking through.
1: You can make it look like a mirror. Yeah, you know, yeah. brilliant. Awesome. All right. Well, that, that's us. Um,
0: thanks for coming uh, coming back on the show again, Brett. Always, always good fun.
1: Yep, thoroughly really enjoyed it. Thank
0: you. Great. Thanks. Well, thanks everyone for uh, for listening in. Um, now, Brett, where can people catch you on
1: online? Uh, probably Twitter's the easiest place. So uh, at Brett Roberts, uh, which I find easy to remember because that's my name. And um, yeah, find me uh, LinkedIn if if people want to um, connect up. Failing that, find me on um, on Twitter and we'll. We'll have a conversation Always interesting, meeting and talking to interesting people
0: that's good that's good uh, likewise um, so yeah you can reach me again mines uh, mine's pretty pretty simple like Bretts it's just my name Paul Spain on Twitter uh, facebook.com slash Paul Spain I think will get to me as well um, so uh, yeah hit me up through those channels or uh, or LinkedIn well that's us for this week thanks everyone for uh, for listening in and we will catch you again next week all right see ya you